All right, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word back to the book of James as we continue in our study. We will be reading today verses 19 through 25. I know that in the bulletin it says through 27, but I was too ambitious given the fact that we have communion today and a baptism next week, so I'm splitting it there, which should show you where the bulk of my time is going to go if I'm doing like seven verses today and two verses next week. So, prepare thyself. (laughs) No, it's going to be great. It's going to be, it's good, it's good for us all that I've split the sermon in two. All right, so... Verses 19 through 25, the Lord's brother, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes thus, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this passage, for this word. We thank you for having chosen of your own will to give birth to us by means of your word through your spirit. We ask that even now we would be attentive to this word and that we would see the command to receive and respond to that word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is a discomforting reality to consider, but the fact of the matter is, is that it is entirely possible to claim to be a Christian, to speak like a Christian, to do things like a Christian, to think oneself to be a Christian, and not be a Christian. That is a very discomforting reality and, and the Lord Jesus himself hits that hard in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, in which he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Brothers and sisters, it is discomforting to consider that there is, in fact, a type of faith that, as James will go on to describe, there's a type of faith that could be called demonic. That is, the type of faith that is full of accurate propositions. The type of faith that comprehends lots of true statements, but ends there. This is why James, in this book, is so keen on ensuring that the sometimes gulf that can exist between knowing and doing, between orthodoxy, right believing, and orthopraxy, right living, that that apparent gulf that can sometimes exist, he is keen on bridging it. He is keen on ensuring that we understand that the faith that we have been given by the Holy Spirit is a living faith. And anything short of a living faith is a vain faith. And so he comes out of the gate swinging, if you will. I mean, think about it. What is his first statement? Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. So he comes out of his gate with a very practical orientation, understanding that life is full of diverse and sundry trials and tribulations, and that we are going to be tempted to have our head down, boo-hooing it all, and he wants us instead to consider it joy. But he knows we're not naturally going to do that, and so he gives us in the previous section the lens we need to see our situation rightly, to interpret things correctly, to have the wisdom of God so that we can then, in fact, look at our circumstances and see them as the instruments of our sanctification in the hands of a holy God and therefore take joy in it all. But now he's pivoting. This whole letter is him seeking to bridge the gap between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, but he's, he's bridging the gap now, and for the next bit, he's going to be describing to us characteristics or traits of true Christian faith. What does true faith look like? And so... He commences, once again, his, his subject kind of transitions, and it pivots, hinges, whatever you want to describe it as, on a word. And the word, in this case, is the word, word. In verse 18, as he sums up God's sovereign goodness to be with us in the midst of our difficulties and trials, and we know he's with us, and he's the giver of every good gift. How do we know this? Because he gave us new life. He birthed us, so to speak. He brought us forth by his word. And that word then, that verse, simultaneously concludes that section and introduces 
a new section. And so he's going to be talking about fundamentally these next verses. Verse 18 is the transition verse, but 19 through 25 is principally about our reception of and response to the word. How do we respond to the word? The ESV's translation of the beginning of verse 19 is awkward. It gives the impression that there's been a hard stop in the, in the discussion of what was previous and that he's completely bringing forth something wholly new. Um, it says, know this, comma, my beloved brothers, colon. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. But that's, that's too hard of a translation that, that makes it sound like it's a whole new subject when in fact this is a transitory statement. And so you see verses like, versions like the King James, instead of know this, my beloved, he says, the, new, the King James says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be, or the NKJV says, so then, my beloved brethren, the New American Standard Version, capitalizing on the fact that the word know there is, is it's, it's vague in terms of its object, it concludes the previous sentence by saying, you know this. Now, what's, what's the point here? The point here is rather than introducing something new at verse 19, what's happening is James is tying together verse 19 with verse 18. The word of truth that God has brought us forth by, so then, let every one of us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not bring about or produce the righteousness of God. Now, how many times have you read that? Verse 19, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and just assume that he's giving us a, a vague but, quite frankly, pretty common moral exhortation about being prudent and personally restrained with our interactions with other people. I mean, it doesn't take the Bible to tell you that it's wise to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, you can read the same thing in Aristotle. You can read the same thing in Confucius. Is he just telling you that you need to be wise with your interactions? Or is there something more? I'm going to posit to you that he's talking about something more than just a vague moral exhortation to be personally restrained in your social interactions. Why? Okay, because look at verse 20. For, so be, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, so we're talking about being producing righteousness of God. So 21, therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Okay. What does being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger have to do with something that the appropriate counterpoint to it is receiving the word of God? 
Well, this is what James is getting at. What we do is we compartmentalize our lives. What we do is we segregate those aspects of our life. We, 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 we like to create the, the public us, the church us, the at-home us, the at-work us, the social media us, and we think they're all different. And his statement here is that the social, horizontal, ethical, moral, imperative things that you commit in front of other people are such that the proper response and the proper way to fix them, people at home on TV, I'm using air quotes, (laughs) is the word of God. And conversely, it's as if the attitudes and actions we commit in our public life with our being hasty to speak, always wanting to get another word in, our, our being unwilling to listen and just sit there and, and be taught something and, and, our, and our propensity to, to getting defensive and angry. It's, it, it's almost like the things that we do to people, these, these are the very things that we're tempted to respond to the word with. It's almost like he's trying to drive home the point that the word of God shapes us at such a fundamental level that you can tell the influence of the word on a person by the outward look and how they're carrying themselves in public. It's almost as if he's saying that the second great commandment, the love your neighbor as yourself, is the second great commandment precisely because it flows from a God who has commanded thus. And so the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that doing it or not doing it will affect the horizontal. It's almost like what I would say all those times I would counsel people in the army where they would come in with some problem and on some occasions they would actually tell me I don't want any of that religious stuff. I just want you to fix my problem. And I would say to them, okay, understand that I can address your presenting problem, but this is just a symptom of a greater issue. All our social and horizontal problems are symptoms of a great problem that we have with God. And so, what James here is saying, in writing a group of Christians that are scattered around, that are experiencing hardship, that are experiencing tension and controversy inside the church, and he's going to go into that in greater deal later in the book, that the key to this, to unraveling this, is to instead receive the word, the core of the Christian life is one of response to and reception of the word of God. All of Christian life can be boiled down to that. Consider the parable of the sowers, of the sower. 
So important is that parable, the parable of the sower, that it's in all three of the synoptic gospels. It's in every gospel except John. It's in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And you know the parable of the sower. The guy goes out and sows, and he, he casts seed, and it goes on to various kinds of soil, and then he talks about what happens. Okay, in every single gospel not only includes the parable, but it includes Jesus' explanation of the parable. And what Jesus says is, the seed that is sown is the word. And the different types of soil represent the different types of responses that people give to the word upon hearing it. It's not enough to just hear the word. There's a way to hear the word that leaves us unmoved. There's a way to hear the word that actually will cause us to become antagonistic. And there's a way to hear the word that will actually produce repentance. This is why in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus cautions us to take heed how we hear. How do you hear? Later in that same chapter, Luke chapter 8, Jesus' mother and siblings are outside trying to talk him off the ledge. He, they think he's gone crazy. You know, that song, Mary, Did You Know, it assumes, and, and people say, of course, no. They assume way too much about what she knew. She thought he was crazy. Rather than being his number one disciple, Mary, for most of his life, didn't understand Jesus. She was wanting him to shut his mouth and come home before you get in trouble. She's outside with his brothers, with James, banging on the door. Come out, Jesus. And Jesus is told, your mother and your brothers are outside. And what does Jesus say? I'll be right out, Mom. No, he does not say that. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and do it. That's what Jesus says. I find it kind of interesting then that a situation that involved James in which Jesus is saying that his mother and brothers are those who hear the word and do it is now that same man who was on the other end of it before is now by God's grace the one who is relaying to us the exact same teaching. We are to receive the word with, as verse 20 spells out, with holiness and humility. There's a way of interacting with the word where, where, where we think that we can, with no effect, with no ill effect on our spiritual life or spiritual state, persist in all manner of brazen, unrepentant sin while we nonetheless plaster Bible verses over our cars or, or on our shirts or, 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 or whatever and think that we are doing some great thing, sadly, James tells us here. But be doers of the word 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Holiness. Sin will keep you from the word, and word, the word will keep you from sin. Put it away. There is no safe sin. There is no little sin. Every sin has as its trajectory death. That's what he just said a few verses ago. Every sin, when it is full grown, produces death. Mortify the flesh, holiness, and humility, which he says as meekness. Now, this is in direct contrast to what he says to the behaviors that he describes in verse 19. We are a world that has conditioned us to be slow to listen instead of quick to listen. Think about the prophets. How many times do they record the frustrations of God and God's messengers that he has all day long held out his hands to people who will not listen We hear, we hear sounds, but we don't listen. Quick to speak. Understand that when the psalmist and the prophets say, tell us to be silent before the Lord, contrasting that with being quick to speak, a person who's quick to speak is just listening to wait to get their next point in. They're it betrays no real interest in just absorbing and reflecting on what is being said. We are not to approach God and his word as if it's there to scratch the curiosity itch we have. Be silent before the Lord and be in awe. Reflect upon his word and, and anger. Oh my goodness. The Old Testament prophets knew the anger of the people of God at hearing the word of God. Most of them were brutally murdered. Our Lord felt the fury of the religious leaders at hearing the word of God. Herod put an end to old boy John the Baptist because he dared to point out his sin. Stephen met an early grave because he brought the fury of the Sanhedrin for their sins. People respond angrily. And he's saying, don't be like that towards God. And if you're like that towards people, don't think that you're somehow pious in the sky with God. Live a consistent, transparent life of submission to the word and let the word flesh itself out in your life. That is what it means when it says to be a doer of the word. To take its moral imperatives, to walk by the examples that were given, to let through, through the pages of scripture to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Never forgetting for a moment that the Holy Spirit is at work within us to will and, and to accomplish his purpose. But my question to you is, what is your will? Do you will to 
please your heavenly father? Or do you will to just have fire insurance? James, brothers and sisters, wants us to have a blessing. Which is why he points out that it's the one who does the word and perseveres. Because once again, he understands life is full of hardships. And we have our indwelling sin that's going to trip us up. So we have to persevere. It's, it's, you're going to fall flat on your face, but you, by God's grace, you get back up again. And you, and you, and you keep walking forward. It's that one who will be blessed. That, that's what he gets to. So the Christian life is, is about <coughs> receiving and responding to the word. It's in the word that we hear the voice of our Savior. It's in the word that we hear and perceive the work of the Spirit that elicits faith within us. It's through the word that we understand how to please our Heavenly Father. It's in the word that we understand more of who we are, who each other are, and how we are to relate in the world. And so I urge you, if there's a goal for a gap in your consciousness between the public you, the religious you, and what you're saying and doing, and bring them all into alignment. And understand that the God who gave you life, who brought you forth, has simultaneously implanted the word within you. That's the promise of the new covenant. In Jeremiah, he says, I'll put my word within them, my law within them, and write it on their hearts. And walk in the newness of life. That is the first trait of true Christian faith. Faith. 